contact with this one. This is the other one. Can you I don't know if soul's the right word, but do something fun to it. Because this song like kind of drives me a little nuts because it's like, I just feel like we're going like this the whole time. So I'm like, if we can revamp this song, I love the words. that slightly faster. Kings. 
want to play it that way because I think it's boring. I don't want to play it that way. Do you like the other way? I feel like I got to lean into it a little more. Will you do it again? the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder New leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is a... Ah, I came in the wrong spot. The King of glory, 
the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. is the one this is going to be weird. How are we going to do this? I don't want normal but boring. I would rather do weird and prep. It doesn't sound weird the more we go. I think we just have to prep the congregation and maybe play it as a prelude this way so that they kind of know what to expect. Do you want to play it the same way? Yeah, but they don't like this song to begin with. Huh? This got great words. And they need to come out of their comfort zone. If it's not a hard one, it's a hard one. The generation that's not going to like maybe us changing it. They'll be flexible. Okay, honest opinion. Is it too weird to play this song this way? So, like, normally we're, like, like kind of, like, charging through it, like, Who makes the power of sin and darkness? Something feels strange. So that's how we normally, we normally sing it, kind of, like, charging through it. Is it too weird to play it this way? 
Like, would it be distracting kind of weird? If we prep, what? You think if we play it as a prelude this way, you think that would help? Maybe not really. Do you think we should play it the other way? That's what we're trying to decide. Play it the other Okay. All right, Andrew, start it the way it's supposed to be started. Who breaks the power of sin darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Makes it polar with holy thunder. Turns us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. You would take my place, that you would bear my cross, that you weigh down your life. Be set free. Whoa, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. That brings our chaos back into order. Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Unanundations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. If you would take my place, you would bear my cross you would lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Amazing grace, sin's unfailing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me oh oh, i 
I should play that A minor. Won't Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me? Hey, Jerry, could you take the piano out of monitor one altogether? trying to remember how the intro goes. I should have printed the sheet music. was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way a sin that promised joy and life and led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will and if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still but as I ran my hellbound race indifferent to the cost you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me now all I know is grace hallelujah alone 
strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be my only boast is you. not have worn a long sleeve shirt. Okay. Would you run through all of them with me really quick? turned into wine open the eyes of the blind there's no one like you none like you into the darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our God. Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise 
There's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, then what can stand against? What could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is here. Awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Sorry, can we do that? Our God, that part. So, our God, let's do our God is healer. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath. In our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. 
from our God into great are you, Lord? They're both in E. abide with me. We don't need to do the last two, I don't think.
Yeah, we did it. The, we did the a little bit ago. I can come look at the order. So it should be verse one, verse two, chorus, verse three, and then the chorus three times. Our call to worship is based on 1 Peter 2. Come, people of God, let us sing the praises of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once we were not a people at all, but now we are God's people. Let us worship God together. Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? What can stand against? Our God is great.
You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you. give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath. Great are you, 
scripture reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Hear God's word to us this morning. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will be their people, and they will be, (laughs) let me rephrase that, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That particular scripture reading, there's this beautiful description of our relationship with God. And the next song that we're going to sing describes a lot of how we wish God would be with us praying and knowing, trusting that God is with us in all circumstances. When I read through the words of the song, Abide With Me, I find them very, very comforting. Things like when other helpers fail and when all our comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh God, abide with me. So as we're singing this next song, I encourage you to, as you're singing, truly think through the words that you're saying and feel that deep, intimate relationship that we have with Jesus. So please stand and sing with us. Not abide 
abide in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Holy Father. Please join me in our prayer of confession. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness and our shortcomings and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. In the quiet of this time, please hear our prayers of confession. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry 
for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So people of God, please stand. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are loved. Hear these words of assurance from God's word from first chap from first Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God, that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? Amen. So I was smiling as we were singing Abide With Me. I don't know that I've told you guys this before, but you guys sound great. (laughs) And there's a great joy in being able to hear the people of God sing as one voice. And I wish, I mean, I kind of get the unique experience of getting to hear everybody's voice. Um, But it's truly, it's truly a joy. So as we sing in the assurance of Jesus rescuing us and the grace that he's given us, I encourage you, continue to sing loud, whether you think you have a good voice or not. I hear that all the time. I don't have a good voice. I can't sing. God doesn't care. He doesn't. He wants to hear your voice in singing. And it's a huge blessing, not only to God, but also to the body of Christ. So thank you, and let's sing together. breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. I sing for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order who makes an orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king above all kings who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory 
kind of funny that we should sing loud. Everybody around me said, looked at me and said, no, Vern, don't be singing loud. <laughs> uh, it's time for prayers of the people, so please join me in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, again, we, we come to you, Lord, to praise you, Lord. We know that we are not worthy, Lord, of your love, but yet you give us that love anyway, Lord. We just thank you for the grace that you show us, Lord. We come to you as brothers and sisters in Christ, as your chosen people, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you would give us that servant's heart, Lord, so that we may love others. We can serve others the way you want us to serve them, Lord. We just pray that you put people in our life, Lord, that we can witness to just by loving them, by sharing your love with them, Lord. Again, we just, we just pray for that now, Lord. Put people in our lives. Lord, we just come to you this morning, too, Lord, and we just pray for the churches in the valley, Lord. Bless those people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. Help them to love others as well, Lord. Lord, we just pray for our, our people in charge, our government, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as they deal with things, Lord. We pray for the people that are in places of drought, for people that are in places of flooding, Lord, throughout our country, Lord. So many people with different needs from you, Lord. We just know that your will be done in all things, Lord. And we just pray that you would take care of these people, Lord, in the way that you see fit. Lord, we just thank you for where we live, Lord, that we can have this beauty around us and enjoy the things, Lord. We just thank you for that joy that you give us every day in our life and the little things that you give us, Lord. 
Lord, you are the great healer, Lord, and we have so many people with health issues, Lord, and we just we just lift them to you now, Lord. I think of Misty right now, Lord, off the top of my head, Lord. We just pray you put your hand upon her, Lord, and just help her, Lord, with her pain and the things that are going on with her body, Lord. Just touch her now, Lord. Lord, with people that are recovering for COVID, Lord, uh, throughout our nation, Lord, and here in our valley, Lord, Lord, we just we just pray for them right now, Lord. And I think of Jamie and Daniel. And Jerry right now that are recovering from it. Lord, we give you praise for that recovery, Lord. And we just ask you to put your hand on them, Lord. For our nurses and our doctors, Lord, that, that are dealing with this still, Lord, after a year, over a year of this, Lord, just keep them safe, Lord, and just continue to give them energy and strength, Lord, to help the people, Lord. You put them in position to help people, Lord. Just help them to continue to do that, Lord. Lord, again, I pray for our, our law enforcement people, Lord, just so much turmoil in different parts of our country, Lord, and just, Lord, give them wisdom in dealing with people. Keep them safe, Lord, as they deal with these things, Lord. Lord, some of our people in our congregation, Lord, deal with depression. Lord, I just lift them to you now, Lord. Let them know that they are loved by you. They are loved by their family here. They are loved by their family in France, Lord. Give them strength to fight that, Lord, and, and just to know that, that things are okay and they are good through you, Lord. Lord, we just pray again that we can be disciplined in our time to seek you every day, that we may seek you, Lord. Help us to be disciplined, Lord, to find you. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity, too, with the church reading that you give us to be maybe part of that discipline, Lord, that we can be in your word and we can talk to you every day in our lives, Lord. And we just thank you for that relationship that you allow us to have. You are an awesome God, Lord, and we just give you praise, Lord. Lord, as we read maybe this morning, Lord, that, that our purpose here in life, Lord, is to love you and to serve you, to fear you, Lord. But with that fear, that reverent fear of you, Lord, we serve you, Lord. We just thank you that, Lord. Lord, that we are to serve you and bring people to the glory of God. Lord, give us that opportunity, Lord. Give us a heart to do that. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Sharon's got you. I was chatting it up a bunch beforehand. Jerry, do we need to test this to make sure it's, we're getting close? We're getting closer, I can tell. All right. Dave's getting started on his reading plan. <laughs> we got a lot of echo there, Jerry. We gotta do something. All right. Yeah, we're... I'm going to hold off on just for, just for a second while we get that tuned up. We got a lot, yeah. I sound like I'm 300 feet tall, right? <laughs> I hear the echoing. All right. All right, so following the way together. Yeah, I think that sounds a little better. Don't sound quite so bad. All right, pray with me for a minute. Oh God, the words that come from my mouth, may they be yours. May 
all that is true uh, lodge itself in the hearts of your people. And all that is error, may it be forgotten quickly. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to have some time together in the next several months focused on Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. That is a, a passage that we selected because it, um, it encapsulates a lot of what we hope to see in our own church in the coming months and years. So I'm going to read that text for you. And we call it, we've entitled this, this sermon series, Following the Way Together. So let me read the text, and then we'll get into uh, what I think is important in this passage. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this passage will be our home base for the coming months. It will be a springboard to explore 10 characteristics of the life of the early church. And as you know, we're catching a vision for becoming a church that looks a little bit more and functions a little bit more like the church described in this passage. Of course, we, we're not going to be able to reproduce that exactly, and we're not really sensing that God calls us to be exactly what this is. We want to bring this, these truths into our context. We'd like there just to be a little closer resemblance as a way to think about it. So why especially this passage? Because Acts 2, 42 through 47 reports what the disciples, the followers of Jesus did in the days after he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. It describes what the first leaders of the Jerusalem church, having spent the past three years with Jesus, thought they should do, and, and also the new believers with them. How did they put into practice what they learned from Jesus? A good portion of that is right here, and we can learn something from it. So my task today is to introduce the passage to help lay the foundation for the coming series and to focus on the first element, and that is devotion. So, you know, I've, I've called this sermon, They Devoted Themselves. That's, that's the cent- central point here. So to devote is to make a vow or to formally dedicate or consecrate something. Here and elsewhere in Scripture, it usually refers to giving something or fully giving something to God, usually ourselves or our treasure, with or without a formal vow. When Christians say they're doing their devotions, we usually understand roughly what that means, right? 
They're finding a quiet place. They're entering into Bible study and prayer and reflection focused on God. And it's true that when we turn our attention to him, when we exercise or practice this attention towards God, we are practicing devotion to God. But we've made the phrase doing devotions too small if that's all we mean by devotion to God. Because devotion is an attitude toward all of life, not just the private inward life with God. So doing devotions, as you'll see in this passage in Acts 2, encompasses our whole life, our private life and our public life. A life of devotion to God is worked out in community, together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. This morning I want to explore with you both the inward act of the human spirit to devote oneself to God and the outward expression of the practices of daily devotion in the community, especially as expressed in the early church. So we'll begin with Acts 2.42. The first phrase, they devoted themselves, is obviously plural. In fact, the whole section from verse 42 to verse 47 is gloriously plural. They, everyone, all the believers, they, 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 three times, And the Lord added to their number. See, all the believers refers to the disciples who had been with Jesus for the past three years and to the new believers who had remained in, at least those who had remained in in Jerusalem after the Pentecost. Because Peter's preaching at the Pentecost, as uh, reported in verse 41, many accepted the message, were baptized, and added to the church. So what the early church did, they did together. And what they experienced was beautiful. They were filled with awe, the passage tells us. Everyone's needs were met. They shared meals in homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And everyone, they were praising God and and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Who can read this section without thinking, I want to be part of a community like that. Well, one of the keys to finding that, that kind of experience in God's church, must be found, I think, in these first three words. They devoted themselves. See, lots of churches pay attention to teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. But few seem to experience the awe or the joy or the gratitude described in this passage. And I think one missing ingredient in our modern church experience is that deep devotion to the Lord and to his church. Now, I'm preaching to the choir, I understand, right? So you who have stayed through the troubles, you who have persisted, have shown by your staying that you love God, that you are devoted to God, and that you are devoted to his church. May God bless and multiply that, right? Um, for his glory in our, our body and in our, our city, really. But even we can go deeper still into the practices of inward devotion and outward devotion. Um, 
striving against the forces of consumerism that are so strong in our culture. The early church was devoted to the Lord Jesus and to doing what they thought he wanted. They were not seeking to please people. They were oriented entirely towards pleasing God in their activities. What they had was experience with Jesus. They knew him. They knew him and his teaching, and now they had the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on them. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that inward devotion to God as expressed in outward devotion to the things Jesus taught his disciples to do gives glory to God and it gives and makes the church flourish. Let me say that again. Inward devotion to God expressed in the outward devotion to the teachings of Jesus gives glory to God and makes the church flourish. So in Matthew 22, Jesus puts a fine point on the idea of devotion without ever using the word devotion. He's asked essentially by some Pharisees who are trying to kind of trap him or trick him. He says, what's the most important thing we should do? Right? Or he's asked, what does God require of us? And they're looking for the one thing they must do. Maybe to trip him up. But Jesus answers with something different. He gives them a way to be, which is expressed in everything we do. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 22, 34 through 38. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if devotion is about giving our, uh, ourselves and our treasure to God, it appears that the thing God wants most is our love. He wants our heart. And not just a little bit of our heart. He wants our heart and soul and strength and mind. See, Jesus answers that question about what we should do with the language of devotion. And you can listen, if you listen carefully, you can hear other echoes of uh, devotion language, like marriage vows. I take you to be mine, to love and to cherish under all conditions, with my whole self forever. Right? That's devotion language. Think about this now. Devotion is exactly what God has done for us. He moved first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us with an everlasting love, the Bible says. He made covenantal vows to us before we ever gave thought to Jesus. Thank God for his devoted love toward us. See, we love because God first loved us, right? The great commandments to love God and love our neighbor are true and right responses 
to God's love. Now, love, in its essence, seeks the good of the other. It wills and it works for the good of the other. So we who are in Christ seek the good of our Father, the furtherance of his kingdom. We seek the good of his people because they are his people. Love is the action or the motivation for our action. It's our response to God. And devotion is the degree to which that love characterizes our life. Devotion is the intensity with which we respond to the love of God. And Jesus, in Matthew 22, is calling us to be all in. All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So devotion is costly. And throughout the Old Testament, we have plenty of examples of that. We see that God calls for our first fruits and our firstborn and the choicest parts of the sacrificial animals. Giving anything but your best is rejected because it shows that your heart is devoted to something other than God. Deuteronomy 12, for example, talks about devoting all of our best stuff to God. Uh, 12.4, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. No, instead bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings, your firstborn of your herds and your flocks. There in the presence of the Lord, the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, expands on that by teaching about giving not only our stuff, but our most precious relationships and our desires over to God. So he's traveling around with these large crowds, and he turns to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Everything we want, everything we love, everything we possess, we are to submit it all before God. And we are to give him the best of what we have to offer. It all belongs to God. He comes first. The Bible says that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's from Titus 2. We were bought with a price. We are no longer our own, but we belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So God's love calls for our love. But if we dwell in God's love, it supercharges our devotion. It fills us by the Holy Spirit. And God's love empowers us to respond as we see in this passage, Acts 2.42. So we're looking at this supercharged devotion to Jesus that gets worked out in both the private and the public aspect of our lives. And so it seems that 
not only is devotion this supernatural, God-given response to his love, but it's also something that gets worked out in all the ordinary parts of life. It's both extraordinary and ordinary. When you think of devotion to God, who or what is your model? You know, when I was in college, I learned about Jim Elliot. You know, Elizabeth Elliot's story was pretty well known and very popular in the 80s when I was in college. You know, his story was that of a sacrificial death as a missionary to these unreached tribes in the Amazon jungle. Uh, Later on, I came to admire Mother Teresa and her work with the untouchables in India. And then lots of other, the devotion of lots of other full-time Christian servants in works of mercy around the world. But it seems like all the examples that I had were these examples of extreme sacrifices and cross-cultural missionaries and full-time Christian work. But if you look at this passage in Acts 2, there's devotion to very ordinary things here. Very ordinary acts of life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Not everyone, in fact, very few of us, are going to be Mother Teresa-like characters, right? But every one of us can devote ourselves to learning to follow Jesus together, to building community among his people, to mutual union with Christ in worship, to a shared dependence on God through prayer. We can all do that. Have you thought about what you are devoted to? Because we're all devoted to a variety of things, right? Most human beings by nature are first devoted to themselves. That's the sin nature. We fight against that all our life. And then, of course, we're also devoted to other things, other passions, other people, other desires or loves that we have. So how do we make sense of all this, all these loves? Well, Augustine, many years ago, defined virtue as rightly ordered love. That is, of all the things we love, we place them in some sort of order, and one must come first. And that one that must come first is our love for God. To be clear, there are many good and appropriate desires, right? The love of your family is a good thing. And when Jesus says, you know, to be my disciple, you must hate your family, he's saying, he's using hyperbole, right, to contrast the love for the one thing, the one great thing is God. And then everything else comes below that. Devotion to God first actually allows us to enjoy all the rest of the gifts of God, all the rest of the good things in the very best way. If we keep God first, we're able to enjoy all the other gifts with gratitude, with joy, without grasping 
We hold them loosely because they're from God. We hold them without fear because we know we're secure in the love of God. And we can hold them without making idols of them if we keep God first. According to C.S. Lewis, you can't really get second things right unless you get first things first. Or he also says, if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim for earth, you'll get neither. He's saying the same thing. He's emphasizing the same thing as Augustine, right? The importance of rightly ordered loves. So consumerism in the church reflects disordered love. Consumerism is when we look to the church for what we want or what we feel like we need rather than what we can give to God and give to his people. We put ourselves first. And when we do that, we can't truly get what we need because what we really need is real community and genuine fellowship with Jesus and his people and meaningful purpose that comes from serving and giving up our own life for the good of others. Those are the second things, and they come from putting God, the first thing, first. So here's the the point of application. How does devotion connect to the changes that, that we're going through right now in the life of our church and in our worship service? Well, I'd say devotion drives it entirely. We believe God has given us a vision to to promote active participation in life with God and in his kingdom. We believe that God seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, who are willing to count the cost of following Jesus and then devote themselves to a life of service with him counting on the joy that comes from that. It means resisting Christian consumerism where we sit still and depend on others to deliver spiritual goods and services. We believe that each of you in this room has something to give. That each of you in this room has been called by God to belong to him and to the body that we call New Life Church. And each of you has something to offer to the rest of us. The gifts differ. We don't expect all to lead or all to teach or all to sing up front or all to pray up front. But every one of us can find a way to encourage another in the journey together with God. And that's the purpose of these small group discussions that will begin next week. To really encourage one another toward love and good deeds, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. In chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The early church did not have much of what church can offer today. They didn't have educated and dynamic speakers. They didn't have professional musicians and uh, amazing worship staffs and lights and smoke and fog machines. They didn't have exciting youth ministry. They didn't have sparkling sanctuaries uh, with great coffee. 
But they did have people who knew Jesus well. And they did have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And they had single-minded devotion to pleasing God in all that they did. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's what we think God wills for us. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> oh, Lord, we are your people, and we are waiting patiently for you to lead us. You're the shepherd. You are the great shepherd. We want you to lead us in this next part of our journey together. We ask you to give us courage strength of heart. Give us devotion in response to your love. Let us know your love deeply, that we would respond with deep love for you and deep devotion both inwardly in our relationship with you and outwardly in our public life and our life together with our brothers and sisters. Oh God, give us grace. For we live by your grace. And all God's people say, Amen. Before we sing our last song, um, I kind of want to do something a little different. Um, first off, I want to tell you a little something that came to mind as Mark was preaching that really encouraged me this week. Um, when, on Wednesday this week, I could not for the life of me fall asleep <laughs> for two and a half hours. I tossed and turned in bed. Um, very nervous I was going to wake up Andrew <laughs> when he had to be at work at six the next morning. Um, but I couldn't fall asleep. And I remembered something my mom had once said, and she said, maybe if you can't fall asleep, there's a reason that God wants you awake. So I got out of bed, and I went, and I tried to pray, and I read through my Bible, and I'm like, God, there's something you're trying to tell me. And I kept reading and reading, and I could not figure out what it was. I'm like, God, what is it you're trying to tell me this morning? And I couldn't figure it out. So I went, I went back to sleep. And the next day when I was driving, it kind of hit me, almost like a flood, that God had, I said, God, did you wake me up just to spend time with me? And I was convicted that in the last, really, month, I hadn't been trying to be in relationship with God, at least in time, like spending time with him. And I wasn't holding up my end of that relationship. But God did. And he woke me up just to spend time with me. And as Mark was preaching, I felt like God was saying, Kate, that wasn't just for you. That relationship that I desire is what I want with each person in this room this morning. And so, with that, um, sort of in light of the fact that even when we fail, God will hold up his end of the relationship, I'm going to invite you to um, share with the person sitting next to you, and if you see someone alone, if you'll go share with them, but what is it that you feel like God is laying on your heart this morning 
as a result either of the sermon or of what God shared with you in confession or during one of the songs? What is it that God shared with you and spoke to you this morning in as that you feel like he's laid on your heart? And if you'll share that with the person sitting next to you, we'll just kind of gently play behind you. But go ahead and please stand and join us in singing. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I to mm-hmm. 